Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Rolling on, on this Thursday, big day, Bud Light Bottles, just 77 cents. That's been the special all year long, all season long. Great game day special for Vegas Golden Knights games. Flamingo and Paradise is where Silver 7's is located. We got Solomon Wilcox to talk to NFL coming up in about 15 minutes, but let's do it. It's time for the three presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. So big news of the day in football is actually on the college side as we'll try to keep you updated as more and more notes come down and comments come down. Candy, we started the show talking a little bit about the college football playoff. Uh, the overlords around college sports are looking to move from a four-team playoff to a 12-team playoff. Again, six highest-ranked conference champs, six at large get in. Four highest-ranked champs get a bye. Eight others will play first-round games on campus. As Pat Forty says, long way from done, but this is the recommendation. And it's interesting, uh, Swarbrick at Notre Dame pointed out that the playoff will allow, this is one of the ideas, aside from money, um, it'll allow college football to take back New Year's Day. Because while I like the Final Four and I like some of the changes they've made in terms of, you know, in, in trying to include more teams who can make a legit run at the championship, New Year's Day has been kind of spoiled. Not only spoiled, but then having the semifinals on New Year's Eve has been like, oh, oh. Uh, hey, hon, I know you were hoping to go out to a New Year's party tonight, but I got to watch Ohio State smash Notre Dame. No, no, the whole game. No, no, it's research. Yeah, that's kind of what it's been like with having these games on New Year's Eve. Uh, in the NHL, Bruins are out. Islanders move on. We had Zig Fracassi, who's a real good hockey guy from SiriusXM NHL channel, and he said, hey, you know, there's been issues with uh, Tuka Rask in back-to-back playoffs. He says, time to move on. What do you think? If you're going to blame anything on what's happened to anyone in the NHL in the last two seasons, the bubble season especially, because think about what went on with him and Halak in, in the bubble last year, with just the opt-out and like, hey, I can't do this. Like, I got to get out of here. And now this year, you're going to blame that loss just on Rask? I mean, Seriously, like no chance that it's just going to be on him. They had no depth beyond the beyond the top two lines. Don't blame this on Tuka Rask. Stop it. Goaltenders go up and down every year in the NHL. You can't try to blame what happened on the goalie when more than that broke down. Canes are out. Lightning moved on. Dougie Hamilton, star player, suggesting that the Lightning are cheating. And he's not the first. And no, we're not talking about spider tack or, or anything that they're putting on their sticks to have a better grip. We're talking about the salary cap and the fact that the Lightning pulled some gymnastics that I'm sure Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee are given a score of 9.99 to. Very well done, gentlemen. Good job. We like it. Because they were able to manage to have Nikita Kucherov on long-term injured reserve pretty much all year long and be able to clear out that space and somehow... They're able to manage to get Kucherov back, Stamkos back, their entire roster back, which would put them well over the salary cap if the regular season rules applied. So Dougie Hamilton kind of put it in a way to say, hey, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying if they get to do it, everyone should get to go that far over the cap. And 
there's going to be some discussion. There's no question about it because there are a lot of folks around the league unhappy about what Tampa's been able to do. Around the Golden Knights, you know, the story of the last couple of games, and it's really around the Avs, but uh, the Knights' job was to try to slow down one of the best lines in hockey, one of the best power play units in hockey, led by Nathan McKinnon. Uh, some local media people in Denver are blasting, blasting McKinnon. This is interesting, and I'm sure the timing is just its happenstance. Coincidence. Headline, uh, just so you know, I, this is a site I read all the time, mansionglobal.com, because mm-hmm. I'm you know, a couple of years from now, you know, I'm going to upgrade, right? Mm-hmm. Get a mansion. Uh, headline, hockey phenom Nathan McKinnon selling Denver penthouse. Wait, what? Wait, what? Selling Denver penthouse for $3.5 million. The Av star says, quote, the lifestyle is unbeatable. What's happening here? Unrestricted free agent after the season. Uh-oh. Could tonight be the last game? In an Avs uniform for McKinnon, who's looking to move on from his condo? MansionGlobal.com. Yes. Mm. <laughs> okay. I mean, it kind of sounds like something more for the Vegas royalty like Von Tobel, but uh, we'll, 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 we'll dive in. Um, Nathan McKinnon's not going anywhere. Uh, he's, Nathan, he's, selling his, he's selling his condo, 2,800-square-foot 2, unit, two bedrooms, two full baths, half bathroom, uh, as one person says. Cool, hip, and walkable in the Union Station neighborhood in the Coloradan building. What's going on here? That's a. Uh, can we just say that a two-two is kind of modest for Nathan McKinnon? Like uh, <laughs> that. I, I appreciate the humility. That's a hockey player right there. Hockey humility. It only needs twenty-eight hundred square feet. Yeah. This isn't some Tom Brady mansion. No, I mean, it, if nothing else, what I love about it is simply listing the thing probably creates incredible leverage for him. Like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, I might have to go. Like, uh, not sure I can stay here. Uh, I got to put my, I got to put place on the market. Like, you guys know I got to be ready to leave. Hmm. Mr. McKinnon, as the story says, who spends hockey season in Denver and the rest of the year in Canada, hmm. is looking for another place in the neighborhood. He said, "Quote: I have a big dog, and need a bigger space with a yard to keep him busy. And I'm also looking outside the market for a real hockey town." I whoa, added, whoa, added, added, whoa, breaking have, news. I may have embellished on the Breaking the news. Yeah. Breaking news. That yeah. that was more <laughs> colorful than Jared Bednar's suits. That sure. was amazing. Mansion Global. Breaking the Mansion, MansionGlobal.com. <laughs> I, oh, I'm sorry. I, I think Woj just moved over to MansionGlobal.com. <laughs> breaking the news that McKinnon has said, screw Denver. I'm moving on. All right. Well, so McKinnon. He said part of that. He didn't say the, the latter part of it. You know, pretty decent interview, eloquent. Um, what exactly is happening here with Garrett Cole, who is now in the crosshairs of this, like, two-week-long story that's meandering and developing this pitchers are cheating scandal around Major League Baseball? Uh, the reporters are like, hey, you know, Garrett Cole is being accused by some players, uh, first and foremost Josh Donaldson. So let's fire a little Garrett Cole trying to – uh, explain his situation. I don't. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if. Uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, hmm. Are you using. Play it again. Are you using uh, spider tack? Play it again. I don't. What? I don't know. I, I, I don't know if. Uh, 
I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, Candy, these are your New York Yankees. Why can't Garrett Cole just say yes or no? I'm using Spider Tech. These are our New York Yankees. Good try, though. Uh, Garrett Cole. I want to give him credit for this much and only this much. He was trying to be honest. Like, he really was attempting not to lie about this because clearly he has some involvement, which shouldn't surprise anybody because it's not just about Garrett Cole. Like, if you're wondering why did this story pop up right now, then after this segment, definitely not right now because you're listening to us, but go to sportsillustrated.com, go to si.com, and read the piece by Steph Epstein that talks about how 80 to 90% of pitchers in Major League Baseball in the estimation of one veteran pitcher are using some sort of sticky wow. stuff. And Garrett Cole got called out in part because of Josh Donaldson, in part because everybody who showed up in Houston, known cheater city, became a higher spin rate pitcher. Eh, pretty easy to figure out. Those aren't These aren't reckless accusations. Keep going, Garrett. I mean... There are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players, from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And um, Interesting. So go back to the PSA from 30 years ago, right? Dad walks in, finds that his son is using weed, and what happens? You, Dad! I'm looking for watching you! God, it was so sobering. Felt so bad for the dad. So Garrett Cole is basically blaming his dads around baseball. Hey, they cheated, so we learned how to cheat from dad. We were smoking weed and putting on spider attack because of dad. Well, I mean, assuming his father is Justin Verlander. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think Justin Verlander is Garrett Cole's father. The age on that would be kind of tough to work out. I'm just saying, if we're talking about the previous generation of a pitcher who, let's be honest, was pretty well dead at the end of his contract in Detroit and became a Cy Young winner again in Houston, maybe that is the guy who taught him. I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard, and and uh, I've stood pretty firm in, in terms of that. Uh, you know, This is important to a lot of people that love the game. This is including including the players in this room, including fans, including you know teams. And so if MLB wants to... You know, legislate some more stuff. That's a conversation that we can have um, because ultimately we should all be pulling in the same direction on this. And what is this story all about? Just like so many other stories around baseball, Adam Candy, a failure in leadership. Because Bobby Manfred doesn't know how to handle this. And in fact, there are some people out there who think that baseball is intentionally letting this fester to throw its botching of the baseballs, how they change the baseballs. Like, yeah, we'll just blame it on the pitchers. Oh, not just that. I mean, the comments from Pete Alonso from the Mets yesterday were probably the most fun, if uh, unprovable conspiracy theory, that there is. And that there are going to be a number of hitters out there looking for big free agent contracts this year. And Major League Baseball knows that they can't have owner collusion, which they got in trouble for in the 80s, to try to drive down contracts, although they're pretty much on the borderline of it right now anyway. But maybe they can depress the numbers some other way. Maybe some guys going into their walk year can't have quite the same numbers that they would. And so you can screw up the baseball and you can also let pitchers have a huge advantage. Funny how that seems to make a lot of sense. 
Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. It's four. It should remain four. I like it. Everybody is ticked off every year because somebody got left out. And you know what that creates? That creates intrigue about the sport. That yeah. creates a lot of emotion. And that's what college football is about. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Yeah, I don't agree, Booger. I don't agree. Intrigue doesn't sell me players actually getting a real chance, more players to compete for a national title. I'm down with that. Uh, the news in that uh, college football powers, whoever they may be, are considering a jump from a four-team playoff to a 12-team playoff. We've got a lot of NFL to get to. Solomon Wilcox covers the league, played in the league. He works for Sirius XM NFL. Solomon, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. How are you? Very good. Uh I mean, this stuff just started the last couple of days in college football with the uh, playoffs potentially expanding from 4 to 12. You have some initial thoughts? You like it? You don't like it? Listen, I think we all knew when it came out, they said they were only going to let four teams in a playoff with all the college teams out there. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they call it Power 5 Conference for a reason. Then you throw Notre Dame in there. It's like, to me, you were going to be leaving really good teams out I think what they've decided to do is let the, not only the top-tier teams in, but give the second-tier teams a shot if they've shown improvement toward the end of the year. This is a broader swath, allows more teams an opportunity, it widens the field. Uh, I think it's a good thing for college football because for so long, it's only been about the brand-name schools, and I think this allows us um, to accommodate some of the others. Speak as a former player, and especially you had the experience of playing out in our region. You were you were at Colorado, and I feel like now we're you know obviously we're tied to the Mountain West here with UNLV. That's a very much a long shot. Um, but even the Pac-12 has kind of been marginalized. Where I, I feel like the, the the powers that be around college football they don't want the Pac-12 in. So at least that will solve one of the issues. At least someone from the Pac-12 or maybe multiple teams, have a shot. I mean, for the kids in the Pac-12, you should be able to dream and actually walk on the field and play against the best. Well, I grew up in a time where those teams out in that conference, even though it was called maybe Pac-10 or whatever, I mean, USC, University of Washington under Don James, uh, these teams were, were great teams. Arizona State, right, under Frank Cush. Yep. It, it's cyclical. Uh, we all know that. For whatever reason, the Southeast Conference is having their time. I remember when the Big Ten dominated, when they had coaches like Bo Beckler and Woody Hayes at Ohio State and Michigan. So it'll continue to move. There will be uh, life after Nick Saban. <laughs> he won't coach at Alabama forever. Um, I mean, look at what Clemson was. It was an outpost, right? And the ACC used to get no respect. And you get a coach like Dabo Sweeney in there. Florida State obviously used to be the darling of the ACC. So you can see how the uh, the power shifts typically when you have a coaching change. Um, and I remember when Miami dominated, and now look where they're at right now. So I, I still feel good about college football, understanding that it's all cyclical. 
Solomon, we're in the thick of NFL minicamps right now, and I'm hoping you can give us a little bit of insight in terms of what this time of year actually means to players because, you know, obviously plenty of headlines around Aaron Rodgers not being there in Green Bay and, and his situation being different than a lot of others. But this time of year, uh, what's being put in? What are coaches talking about? Like what's actually happening on the field right now? Well, first of all, you want to get a good look at your rookies. I know they had rookie minicamps, but now you get to measure them and see how they fit in with a broader population of players like the veterans, all 90 guys in. You get to see how they really look. They act like a pro. They learn very quickly. Are they processing information? For those uh, second-year players like Jordan Love and maybe some of the others who didn't shine and show as rookies, do they come back with a hunger and a zeal to really turn the heads of the coaching staff and be ready to contribute at a much higher level. There's a lot of information being gathered and gained. Players are always being critiqued, um, and you're always um, getting them to understand that this is a competitive deal, that there's no free lunches in the National Football League. So you know, a lot of work is getting done in these workouts, and, and, and this is the beginning of the process of really reconstructing and putting a team together for the upcoming regular season. So, Solomon, here in Las Vegas, obviously we're talking about a new defensive coordinator this year and bringing in Gus Bradley and a lot of new players on the defense, you being a defensive player yourself. How long does it take when you bring in a new coordinator to pick up that system, and how? what are we doing this time of year to put that system in? And if you're here in Vegas right now and you're looking and saying, okay, new coach, new system, uh, when can we expect new results? Well, you don't get to whine about it, you know. <laughs> First of all, you really shouldn't be going to a defense and bringing in a system where you don't have the players that already fit. Um, I think they do. They're going to play a 4-3. Um, they've got the linebackers in linemen. They've got the secondary, I think, to play top-down, single-high. Uh, what Gus Bratley does is single-high cover three. Um, you can bail out at the corners and, and uh, play uh, man-to-man coverage from the same look. Uh, they've got the co- they got the players to do that. They've got the corners. I think Trayvon Morick is, is excellent. I think he's a really good safety. They bring over Casey Hayward in free agency, someone who's played in the system, who understands it, and has played at a very high level just in case um, Damon Arnett doesn't take hold to the new system. It's his second year playing in a whole new system. You don't know it. He didn't really uh, show very well as a former first-round pick last year. So uh, I think they've gotten better with personnel, but certainly I think the scheme brought over by Gus Bradley, I'm in, I'm in huge favor of it. Um, I think he's an excellent coach. So what are the realistic expectations then this year, in your opinion, for the Raiders? They have a lot of pieces on offense that we've heard a lot in minicamp, a lot of confidence expressed by the skill players, by Darren Waller, Kenyon Drake comes in, and this offense has had its successes in the time that John Gruden has been here. The defense obviously hasn't been as good. So what's your read on the Raiders here in June? Uh, Excellent. I mean, think about it. You know, I believe Derek Carr is a franchise quarterback. I I mean, I know a lot of people say this thing. The data supports it. And our PFF database, I think you've seen when he's played, he can produce big-time plays, he can make all the throws. And I thought, you, I thought you saw last year them allowing him to do more when it comes to stretching the field and throwing the ball down the field. I mean, if just ask the Jets, 
got their defense coordinator fired because of his ability to throw it down the field. I, I'd love to see them give him more opportunities to do that, and that's why they continue to surround him with talent. I love the addition of Kenyon Drake because I think he's a direct contrast. As good as Josh Jacob is, is pounding it in between the tackles and being a prolific runner. He's highly elusive, tough to tackle. You need a back that can fail Josh Jacob, particularly in the passing game, some guy who can catch it out of the backfield and be your third down back. Kenyon Drake gives you that. Uh, but defensively is where they need to make the biggest improvement, guys. And we're not we're not even talking about a top ten defense. If they could just be in the top half of the league, the upper thirty two, okay, and not give up thirty a week, I, I think you're gonna see a much more competitive team that can close out games and I think potentially win ten or more in twenty twenty one. Sullivan Wilcox is up on Cofield and Company, host the uh Opening drive on Sirius XM NFL. I'm a big fan of that channel, Hardcore Football Talk, uh, just about every day. I listen to Jim and Pat when I'm coming in to do our show. So I, I got to get your take on the story that's kind of brewing beneath the surface because it's go time come August. What are your thoughts on the Vax issues around the league and then what came out yesterday about both Sam Darnold and Montez Sweat? Um, i be more clear. What was your question again? Because you kind of broke up on my end. So what's your take on what's going on right now with a clear split around the NFL amongst the players where some players don't want to get vaccinated, others are in, um, and it's going to affect you know, how you work come August? Uh, yeah, you know, I, listen, I, being compliant in the workplace, I don't know when we begin to be so afraid <laughs> of every shadow of everything that we're being asked to do. I think many of us have become way too political in some of the decisions that we make. And, and we're less about community and less about the group and more about our individual rights without weighing what are our responsibilities to the community, right? Um, you know, I have grandparents. Um, I have parents still alive in their 80s. Um, I would love for them to be vaccinated, but I also love for people – you know, my nieces and nephews and everybody who come around us to be vaccinated. They forget, okay, and they may say, well, I have a robust immunity. Okay, well, let's protect mom and dad, right? Let's, mm-hmm. protect, let's protect others. Right. I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not saying people have to think like I think. I, I just know that when we talk about being part of the, group, the greater group, sometimes you have to do things maybe that goes beyond what you would do for yourself personally. But when... When do we start putting um, the bigger ideal ahead of our own individual ideas? That's a that's a that needle's always moving, right? It's always moving, and I think we're at a time now where um, there's a lot of people who think more individually than corporately. And it'd be great if we could get back to thinking more corporately, more about community. I know that's how we were after 9/11. We all came together. We supported one another. We, we thought about community. And uh, in times of peace and these different times today, it, it, it be, it's become a more, more about me, thinking about self, this is my right, and, and less thinking about what are our responsibilities to the community. Well, thinking for myself and not doing what's best for everyone else in the workplace, that ain't the way it works in the NFL. Like, like, that's just not the way it works. I, you, gotta, you tell me, come August – 
you got teams like the Niners who are like 52 percent, um, you know, fully vaccinated. Um, Panthers are below 50 percent. If they're not at the threshold in August, are we looking at situations where, you know, I don't know, the Raiders, if they get if they're at the threshold, they're all meeting like they normally do. And then, the you know, say the Bills, some of the Bills will be near each other in one room and then across the building on a video are going to be the rest of the Bills. That that seems like lunacy to me. And if I was a coach, I'd be going nuts. We said it last year, the teams that can be more mature and be more disciplined and make sure they follow the protocols, those are going to be the teams left standing at the end. Um, and obviously we already know about the ability to stay healthy, but that's what happens. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a more mature team. You can see the coach has a firm hand in Bruce Arians, who's asking his players to get vaccinated, because he was like, look, let's control the things that we can control. Let's do the right thing so that we take that off the table. I don't want to lose a guy to contact tracing. He never even tested positive, but he was close to someone who is, and now he can't play. Okay? Now, think about that. At the end of the year, you're going to come down to who gets into the playoffs or who won the division, separated by one game, and all because you weren't compliant in some way, shape, or form, or you got caught up in contact tracing or someone contracted covid because they weren't fully protected via vaccination, and that's your reason for, for, for not winning the division, well, that there you go. And so, I mean, you're going to impact your community, your team, your workplace, one way or another, your decision or your lack of a decision, it is going to impact the greater group in one form or another. Back to the field for uh, one final question. You know, there are some big names out there still available. I saw Jonathan Jones retired, a longtime defensive back. But Todd Gurley's visiting cities and teams, and he visited Detroit last week. He was uh, talking to the Ravens today. Is he going to find a job? Yeah, I think he will. You know, gone are the days where I think he's going to get the big contract. He already had that, right? That's that's the life of a running back today. Uh, And now he's – sort of, uh, you know, going to be working on the one-year deal, seeing where he can get in and fit in. Um, look at playoff Lenny, Leonard Fournette. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. kind of where he's at, but he landed in the right spot. And uh, and that's kind of what you have to do to make a living as a running back in this league nowadays. Uh, we'll let you go here. You all good? What do you got going on for the, uh, the summer here? You know, we're, we're working every day, you know, with uh, Sirius XM NFL Radio and hosting the opening drive. We're sitting here prepping for the show, going over the news notes and nuggets that are very topical, particularly what's going on in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. Um, obviously, we're doing work of consulting with pro football focus and getting ready for the upcoming season. And then I get to take a vacation, you know, yeah, just before yeah. we hit the training camp. I'm headed toward Cape Cod. And uh, I get to kick my feet up, play a lot of golf, and uh, that's kind of what we what we do. And so we're we're still trying to enjoy life as we're coming out of this pandemic, and we're getting back to normal, right, guys? And it's a very fun time. Yeah, come to Vegas; people are going crazy here, so, so everyone everyone is ready to go here. <laughs> oh, of course, Every, everybody's always ready to go <laughs> exactly. in Vegas, aren't they? <laughs> exactly. The lockdown is over. All right, Solomon. Hey, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Take care. There he is, former NFL player Solomon Wilcots, Bengals, Vikings, Steelers, has uh, worked all over the uh, media landscape, covering the National Football League, and as you heard, now he's doing satellite on the morning show on Sirius XM NFL. Curtis Terry will give us his uh, takes 
and predictions on what's going to happen around the NBA tonight. We'll get into the uh, Clips situation. Uh, I'm not sure if Candy is bullish on the Clippers, but I liked, well, I didn't like the end of the game, but I like what I saw the other night against the Jazz. We want all the smoke. Tweet at Steve Goldfield or call 702-364-1100 and let us have it. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Yeah, been winning just at Ben Simmons. Practice from start to finish. Doc Rivers laying up with winners. MD, big stepper stampede. Team player like Tyrese Maxey. I get all up in your face like acne. Tobias coming for the top spots. I'm flying, trying to beat the shot clock. Shake Milton makes millions. Hardball, no loss, no feelings. Got green three rings like Danny. I ball hard for my family. I like it. I like it. Shake Milton with the mention there. Oh, crank it up. This sounds really familiar. Is this the big return for Khalees? I mean, this is essentially, this, this sounds like my milkshake and whatever the rest of the lyrics are. No? My, my Embiid brings all the boys to the yard. <laughs> I'm impressed, Steve. My Embiid blows all the other boys out of the lane. As he was doing the other night, just throwing people around. I'm, I'm just saying Joel Embiid has the milkshake that Khalees is talking about. Yep. Are you, are you impressed? A Khalees reference? Very good, Steve. Well, that's what it sounds like, sort of. That the, Then she's pretty good. She's pretty good. Great lyrics. Great lyrics. Oh, great. He actually thought it was Khaleesi. No, no, actually. <laughs> I'll I, take it. I, I do know the difference in this case. The references that you make sometimes, I'm like, what? So, it's good. Yes. Good progress. This time I didn't feign complete stupidity. Oh. <laughs> this time. This time. All right, let's get into uh, what's going on around the NBA in the playoffs. And uh, right now the Nuggets, Candy, are struggling. They got crushed, especially late as the Suns pulled away. Uh, headline, CBS Sports, Nuggets' Mike Malone rips team after blowout loss to Suns in Game 2. Quote, we quit. What's the most disturbing part of that headline? Mike Malone is someone who is never shy about calling his team out. Here's the problem. The most disturbing part is after game one, he called them soft. And they responded with that performance. That performance after being called soft. They came back and put out a performance in which he says they quit. I mean, I assume that the next level is, yeah, they didn't even show up. They were on the golf course the whole day. Like, this team looked completely and totally cooked last night. I mean, can we chalk it up as they're simply not as good and they're running out of gas with a short roster? Not on a game where they just brought Will Barton back for the first time in more than three weeks. Like, Will Barton's been out more than three weeks, and they get one of their best guards back in the rotation, and... Yeah, I mean, look, if they lose this series and you look at it and say they needed everything they could to get past that Portland offensive attack and this is as far as this team can go without Jamal Murray, sure, yeah, I can live with that. But they didn't show. Like, they did not show. They're down nine at halftime, and I looked at that live line with them catching nine and a half, and I thought, I don't think so. They don't look interested in this game, and they got destroyed. Is the inevitable going to happen if they get blown out of the series 4 nothing? 
Our talking head's going to come after Jokic and say, MVP? How? Sweep. He's got the Jamal Murray insurance plan. He's got the fact that the guy who was one of the two stars of the bubble last year isn't there. And you can say, you know what? He got them a lot farther than anybody thought they would. Frankly, I'm surprised they got past the Blazers. I mean, that, that double overtime game against Dame Lillard and the Blazers, hmm. that game alone should insulate him from any of that kind of crap. And I would just turn the video on of that to anybody who tries to come after him. We got news locally concerning the NBA. Good news for some. So what's happening now with Team USA? So they're switching facilities. Uh, they're they're going to move from doing their training camp at UNLV at the Mendenhall Center, and they're going to go over and be part of the MGM Resorts family now, which given the relationship between the NBA and MGM Resorts, which is very, very deep, uh, that is not terribly surprising. It's just one, another one of those things for, for those of us who came to Las Vegas in the late 80s and were used to the Thomas and Mac being the mecca for everything, the Garth Brooks concerts and the huge exhibitions for the NBA and et cetera, et cetera, and you, the the farther we get away from that, the more you wonder how UNLV can continue to compete in an area like that with all of the new facilities in town. It, it just kind of feels like it's moving to more of a strip thing and less of a UNLV thing. We've also got partnership connections, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing is, uh, you know, they're at they're at a disadvantage, and um, and then when you start talking about the gambling partnership stuff too. Oh, and that's what I mean. The, the, it is a deep, deep tie between yeah. MGM and the NBA at this point. I mean, the, you know, MGM is sponsoring the entire summer league. Um, they they have all the resources to say to not only the NBA but to USA Basketball. Hey, uh, we would love it if you could get some people to stay here in the middle of the summer when nobody else is here. Well, speaking of the uh, UNO facilities and the Rebels roster, they did some more tweaking last week. We'll get the details from Curtis Terry on the other side. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now back to Cofield and Company. Nice pass. Say go New York, go New York, go. We draw charges and we send picks. We are New York. Say go New York, go New York, go. Say go New York, go New York, go. Go! I love that Nets theme song. That is great. New York's team, the Brooklyn Nets. That was game one, 115-107. Come on, Candy. Do it along with me. Nets fan here. Go New York. Go New York. Go. New York's team, baby. Bischoff has been trying to troll me about the Knicks for like three months now, <laughs> and that is by far the most hurtful thing I've heard on this network. Just stealing the song. Straight up stealing the song from the last time this team was relevant before now when the 94 Knicks were in the finals. Yep. And we had the Go New sorry. York Go song leading the intro. Yep, and sorry. then... 
Your team, <laughs> your team slid its way over in the dark of night from New Jersey to Brooklyn. And I got to deal with this. New York's team. All right, Curtis Terry's up with us to talk some NBA, talk a little uh, college basketball as well. Curtis, what's going on, buddy? Not much, guys, but I mean, they couldn't get a better theme song than that, Cofield. Uh, with their ties to Jay Z and everything. I mean, they're working on it. So in the meantime, <laughs> just just steal the Knicks song. Why not? Right. I guess. Let's do it. Uh, I want to get to the NBA playoffs here in a second, but uh, I sure I'm sure you know, and I don't know if you got tickets yet. You can tell us, but the uh, the times and all the dates are official now for the NFL preseason. I know you're completely stoked as a Washington State, you know, area guy, Tacoma guy. I know you want to go see the Seahawks and the Raiders, so it's 6 o'clock on August 14th. Are you in? I'll be there regardless. Look at you. 100% in. Looking forward to it. Um, again, I got, I got a side with family ties and Ron Miles and Ryan Miles on, on the defensive backs coaching staff. Uh, but hopefully the Seahawks can uh, can light them up, at least to jumpstart our season, because this one won't count against the Raiders. So that's kind of what I'm going for. Can light, can light them up in the preseason. Let's get some good vibes going. For sure, for sure. Curtis Terry's on the horn, former UNLV player, voice of UNLV basketball on the radio side, along with John Sandler. Okay, a couple of UNLV notes before we get to uh, breaking down the NBA games tonight and looking back a little bit. Um, the UNLV Rebel roster is almost complete. So last week they had a big dude, a seven-footer from the West Coast Conference. Uh, explain who he is and and what do you think Kevin Kruger is trying to build on defense by collecting a few more bigs? I mean, when that news broke, I mean, the fact that you, you get another body this late in the game, but the fact that it's a 7-1 guy with experience um, and his ability to block shots, to rebound, to protect the paint, that's huge. Because you already add in the fact that you've got Royce Ham, you've got David Muoko. I mean, you've got three guys, um, I mean, pushing seven feet, um, plus Hampshire, who is seven feet, that can protect the paint. And so that reminds me of when I played with Joel Anthony. That means you could pressure on the perimeter, you can pick up in the backcourt, um, and force those guys to beat you off the bounce because if they do, they got to go inside and fight through the trees. So I like what they're doing from that sense and that standpoint. But uh, on paper, this team has length, size, and athleticism. Now, obviously, we, we question about the offense. Is it going to come along? They weren't big scores at their previous stops. Uh, but if you can defend, eventually your offense will start clicking once these guys get familiar with each other. Um, but if you can't stop anybody, it's not going to matter how much you score. And this team looks like they're going to be primed to be able to Snuff some teams out here moving forward once you get to the, the conference season, especially in the Mountain West. So you get one in and then one out. Nick Blake actually commits to Pacific. Are you surprised? That that feels to me like it's a little bit of a drop down in terms of level. We're not talking just the West Coast Conference because Gonzaga is awesome. Sam Aries has a good program. BYU, obviously, very good as well. I, I thought Nick would move laterally or up. We're talking about a guy who was a borderline four-star, and I thought he showed really well at times in his freshman year here. Yeah, I agree. And I think, obviously, he had, he had some responsibility put on him as a freshman to be able to, to run the point guard, probably took him out of his game and slowed down his learning curve in terms of being a slasher and attacker from the wing as a college player. But I think the fact that for him it's probably a good move to be able to go to a lower conference in terms of competition level, I think it's probably going to be a good fit for him to go to Pacific uh, to play under Coach Damon Stoudemire. Um, obviously, I think him being there with Justin Hawkins, Justin Hawkins is a great culture guy. The guy's going to be able to yep. uh, teach him. And, and that connection with Justin being, having been in Vegas, been a rebel, um, they can have that connection there and build probably a pretty good relationship. Uh, but I think hopefully it's going to be a brighter future for Nick Blake um, with his time in Stockton, California. 
because it just didn't work out here for whatever reason with the Rebels. You think some of this was about getting away from home? Um, you, you know what? I, I'm not sure. I think obviously with you know, we talked about this before with the way the, the press release came out. It sounds like it was something um, that was decided mutually in terms of probably something that had popped up before um, in terms of him just trying to find greener pastures. Uh, but I think ultimately him going the way he'd done it before when he went to IMG when he left Durango High School. And so this is a kid that's been away from home. But, again, it's always tough to stay home and play. I mean, we've seen in the past Marcus Banks was able to have success after he went to Dixie. Um, Anthony Marshall had great success here. My former teammate Marcus Lawrence didn't have as much success because of those people pulling from you um, that you grew up with that are in the community and always around. So sometimes it is good to get away to alleviate some of that pressure just from being the hometown guy and trying to carry the weight on your soldiers. So I think this could be good for him um, from that sense, but I don't think it was something that he necessarily was looking for. It just came up, and it ends up probably being the best situation for him. Yeah, Trey Woodbury, another guy who had a hell of a season after he moved on to Utah Valley. All right, let's talk NBA. Um, I came out of that first game between the Clippers and the Jazz feeling okay about the Clippers. I didn't like the execution down the stretch. Where are you on this series? I, I feel the same. I think the Clippers played good for the first, I mean, two and a half, three quarters. Uh, they, they were comfortable. They were knocking down shots. They were able to, to combat what uh, the Jazz have done. And they also put some pressure on the Jazz because Gobert was in, in, in some foul trouble. And, and, and what Zubac gave them inside, I mean, mixing things up from that standpoint, I think they were in a good position. But then you can't let someone like Donovan Mitchell get hot. Um, I think he just he went ape, ape shit, excuse my language, but he went crazy and got a lot of confidence, and that opened things up and allowed guys to knock down shots. And so I like what I saw from the Clippers the other night as opposed to what we saw um, against the Mavericks for the majority of the, of the series because they just didn't have it. They looked like they were lost, a step slow. Uh, but I would like to see some of those key guys in terms of Kawhi, PG-13, to be a little bit more aggressive, especially late in the game when things kind of get tight. It looked like they were being a little too passive for my preference. Yeah, I mean, ultimately those two end up going for 43 points combined in the game. And, Curtis, it feels like with the way that bench is constructed now that it's like you got to have one of them going off because there aren't enough secondary pieces for the Clippers to score enough if one of those guys isn't having the big game. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you make the move and, and you Lou Williams goes to Atlanta, I mean, it, from that standpoint, you lose your punch off the bench, and that was huge for them. Um, but now they're going to have to be more, I think, defensive-oriented. I think you bring in Rondo. He's obviously a great point guard, great culture, floor leader, game manager. But I think he's not going to give you the scoring punch uh, like Lou Williams was. Uh, Pat Beverly's not going to give you the scoring punch, obviously. So I think they've got to be more aggressive defensively to shut down Donovan Mitchell. Because if, if your two top guys combine for 43 and Donovan Mitchell goes for 45, they're clearly not going to be in a good spot. And so I think that's where they've got to be more aggressive offensively. They both try to got to get theirs early. But I think defensively, you've got to see them turn up the pressure and start shutting some people down, and, and not just Rondo, not just the defensive guys. But I think Paul George and Kawhi are going to have to take some more ownership and take more onus on themselves to, to try to set that tone because I just don't think they're going to be able to outscore teams with just the way that their team is built. Curtis, in the other series, are the Suns as good as they have looked in these first couple of games, or are the Nuggets this overmatched? Uh, they look really good to me, and it's surprising. I mean, obviously, after they knocked off the Lakers and Chris Paul having the shoulder injury, I'm thinking, dang it, here goes Chris Paul again. Getting in the playoffs, having a good shot, goes down with injury. We've seen that before. But for him to battle back and for Devin Booker to play as good as he is, Mikael Bridges is a very bright spot. I like what Jay Crowder's bringing to them. 
in terms of kind of just that traditional three and D. He'll knock down the shot. He's going to get your jock strap on the other end. Um, they're looking really, really good. And then, I mean, as good as the Nuggets have played, Jokic has been great as the MVP. This is when they really missed Jamal Murray. I mean, not having him as the playmaker, being able to create, put pressure on the defense. Austin Rivers has done a good job. Composos, you know what I mean, giving his best. But this is where they're really going to miss Jamal Murray. Um, I think their run's going to stop here because Chris Paul and, and Dee Booker are looking red hot as the Suns are moving forward. How about my Nets? Exhilarating, Curtis, exhilarating. Game two, just emasculated. Just the, the poor Bucks. Uh, how do the Bucks bounce back? The series is not over, but to this point, man, they look like they're lacking some confidence. Yeah, they look like, I mean, for lack of better terms or saying, they look like deer in headlights, right? I mean, the Bucks are struggling. And you would think after Harden goes down that they would probably give a little pep in their step, be able to, to play a little better. But that game, game two, it got ugly quick, and it didn't get any better. Uh, and it's surprising to me because they've been a team to be able to make adjustments. Um, they've been together for a while. But I expect to see some more life out of them. I think they've got to be more aggressive because they've, they've got the size advantage. They can't settle for so many threes. But Giannis has got to be Giannis. Drew Holiday's going to have to attack. And I think they've got to speed up the game selectively, but also impose their will on them. Because at the end of the day, I don't see the Nets as a super deep team, um, especially with the size. And it's going to have to be KD and Kyrie carrying you the whole game. And if you put pressure on them to attack them and make them guard, you've got a chance. But, I mean, so far they haven't done that. And it's surprising to me because the other night the effort just was not there. Um, So we're going to see what happens tonight. But uh, so far, I mean, the Nets are looking good. Hopefully James can get back because I think they need him to be able to, to, to really kind of have this thing in the bag moving forward the rest of the way. Yeah, a supporting cast certainly has to step up for the Bucks. But you mentioned a lot of this is on Giannis, and when he does get a chance to cover Kevin Durant, he's got to do a little bit of a better job. And the other end, uh, you know what? Stop selling for threes. You're actually making it easy for the Nets. The Nets are going with a small lineup and playing Blake Griffin at the five. You've got to destroy Blake Griffin. And beyond destroying him, because Blake Griffin's actually been good on the offensive end, force Blake to defend in uncomfortable areas for him and get him off the floor. Yeah, I think you you got to attack the pick and roll. I think Drew Holiday's got to got to take more and put it on his shoulders. Singleton uh, has been an, uh, Middleton has been an all star in the past, but he's obviously a catch and shoot guy. They need to be able to get in the paint, put pressure on him because, like you said, I mean, if they're just going to settle and cast threes, that's what that's what the Nets want you to do. They want you to shoot threes because nobody in, in the NBA offensive rebounds. So you're just going to retreat from there. They're going to take possession and try to play fast um, and in space, and, and that's where they're going to be good because Kyrie's great off the bounce. KD is a walking mismatch. Um, and Mike James is coming on strong and kind of filling that void that, that James Harden left. But if, if you're going to let, at this stage, Blake Griffin, with what he's doing so far and athletically not having what he used to have, control the paint and be easy and not have to guard, it's, you're making it easy on him. And in the Nets, I mean, the Bucks have been shooting threes well all season. That's kind of their, their mojo. Lopez is going to have to go inside. Giannis is going to have to go inside. They've got to get physical because I think that's where they're going to have the true advantage. And if they don't do it tonight, they're, they're going to pack it up, and then it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that roster moving forward. Curtis, that was real good. Real good. We appreciate it. Thank you, fellas. Hope to see you guys soon. Take care, okay? You too. Curtis Terry, make sure you uh, check out his new podcast, Uncommon Terry. Uh, recently, discussions with Isaiah Thomas of the NBA and also Rebel Great, Rebel Contributor, uh, Steve Jones, of course, uh, son of Snapper Jones. Steve is an excellent follow. 
the former runner rebel on Twitter when it comes to NBA. He's got the, the same mind that his dad did, and they had an extended conversation. So make sure you check out uh, Uncommentary to search it on YouTube. With 77-cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino.